And you know we have to ask you this question. Rumors are flying all over that you're the one player here who's thinking seriously of making the transition right from the high school ranks to the professional ranks. How serious is that part of your decision? Well, there's definitely a possibility. I think I'd be foolish not to look into that. I'm honored that people think that I'm able to make the jump. Uh, so obviously I'm going to take a look into it and see what my options are. Sixers leading the Bulls by one. Tony Irving with Kobe Bryant. And Tony, you can tell him it's okay if he wants to reveal his decision to us right now. It's perfectly fine with us. Thank you, Mark. That's just what I was going to ask him. Maybe he'll surprise me. What's it going to be, college or the NBA? I don't know. I haven't made up my mind yet. Right now I'm going through the high school season. It's final four time in the state playoffs. So after Saturday, I'll take my time my family and make the decision. Uh, Kobe Bryant. I've decided to skip college and take my talent to the NBA. With the 13th pick in the 1996 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Kobe Bryant from Lower Merion High School in Pennsylvania. And Kobe Bryant making his first appearance in Madison Square Garden. 18 years of age and he'll go to the free throw line. Now, let's give you some perspective. This is the third game of the season. A year ago at this time in his third game for Lower Marion High School, Kobe Bryant was leading the Lower Marion Aces to victory over Haverford High School. <laughs> Kobe Bryant by midseason will be a guy that, though he's 18, he'll be a key guy for the Lakers. There is his first point in the NBA. In the NBA. In the NBA. In the NBA. Well, he might be only 18 years and five months old, but this guy can do everything that the veterans can do and do it better, perhaps. Kobe Bryant, last night you get your first start as a pro. How'd it feel? Yeah, it felt good. It felt good, you know, going out, you know, start a lineup. You know, I tried to keep, keep a straight face and keep a serious look, but, you know, I couldn't help but cracking a little smile. How big was the gym you played in in Marion? About 500 people. 500? About 500 people. This seat's 26,000. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Coming out of the timeout to the chance of the ever-familiar beat L.A. One second remaining in the regular season, possibly. Out to Kobe. Away, oh! 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 Kobe, you have had an amazing season. Break that down. Oh, Kobe Bryant! He your team finished atop the most intensely competitive Western Conference. Bryant for the win! Kobe with another yeah. steal. Takeaway set it up for Kobe. And all the threes! He'll slam it home! You've helped mold it into a championship contender. And when we thought you couldn't get any better, you did. Bryant with the crowd roaring. Right-handed dribble. Gray comes out to double. Kobe around him. Kobe down the middle. There have been many performances this year that are MVP worthy. The Lakers for the win. Kobe going up over Bell. Ball away. Yes! Yes! And the Lakers it does it. Was there ever a doubt? Kobe wins it for the Lakers. He is hard to believe. No, he's not. Amazing again at the buzzer. Is there anybody more clutch than that man? Was as it is said, there can only be one, and that one is Kobe Bryant, the recipient of the 2007-2008 NBA Most Valuable Player Award presented by Kia. Congratulations. The Lakers finding themselves 2009-2010.
champs. And Bryant loving the feeling of being a five-time champ. I can't believe how fast 20 years went by, man. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. And uh, you guys will always be in my heart. And uh, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. No words can describe how I feel about you guys. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, God, I love you guys. And uh, I love you guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Free Association, a special edition. And the worst kind of special edition that you can have, which is uh, the NBA community, the basketball world lost a Titan, lost one of the greatest players to ever play the game in Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi yesterday. Um, by now, everybody knows the circumstances of what happened, what ended up playing out, but we wanted just to take a few moments to, to share some, some of our own thoughts about Kobe maybe some of our memories of him, uh, how we felt yesterday versus how we feel today when we're recording this. Uh, I'm J.D. Bunkus. I'm here with Donovan Bennett. I'm just going to start with that because I don't really know how you start a show like this. It just it doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel good. I just spent three hours on a radio show talking about Kobe with people that knew him better, former teammates, people that used to cover him, friends. And it's this huge loss. But I feel like it's everyone's kind of trying to spin it into a thing of appreciating Kobe today, remembering Kobe today, the ups and the downs and reflecting on, you know, what he meant as a basketball player, as a man and what he meant to different people because he was so grandiose. And I, I'll just start there is when you're thinking about yesterday, when you're thinking about Kobe Bryant, you know, what, what have you been reflecting on? Yeah. So, I mean, it was Sunday afternoon. I was, with my family doing what families do on Sundays. We went for brunch with my wife and my young son and my brother and my mom. And I just gotten home and my brother was blowing up my phone. And I'm like, I just saw this dude. Like, what could he want? And I don't know about you or the other guys that are in this room, but we're at an era now where if you get a text and it's someone's name, you think the worst automatically. Mm -hmm. You think some sort of scandal or some sort of social media mistake that they're not going to be able to take back or even worse, you think of death. And so I immediately go on Twitter to look up and see like why would my brother be texting me Kobe, right? Just one name, mm -hmm. Kobe. And obviously I see the TMZ report and he was reaching out to me to try and confirm it. He sees me as someone who works in sports and talks about basketball. And he's trying to confirm it because he doesn't want to believe it. And obviously, I can't confirm it. I'm not in Calabasas. But that's the place that we all were in. You heard of the news of the crash. You heard Kobe was involved. But only TMZ went with it early. So you were holding out hope it wasn't true. It wasn't him. Then stories start to come out of who else may have been in the chopper. His entire family. His daughter, Gigi, Rick Fox. And so now you're waiting for more information. And once TMZ said it happened, to me, it was like it happened. They're undefeated almost at this point. They broke Michael Jackson before anybody else. After that day, I was like, yeah, they know what they're doing. They're good at this. But I was in this weird space where I wasn't grieving him 
closely the way people who covered him, who knew him, who talked to him, who had his number in their phone. And I think it would be disingenuous for me to do that. But I also was in a weird way following the news, hoping that his family wasn't impacted more, but at the same time feeling guilt because, okay, so if his family isn't in the chopper, is it better that somebody else's family members is just because I don't know them because I don't know their name? So the whole day I was in emotional purgatory. I didn't really know how to feel. I didn't want to get more upset than the people he actually touched physically, but I also felt gutted for him because the last photos we saw of Kobe, and we saw them often post-retirement, were of him courtside with Gianna. WNBA games, NCAA women's games, NBA games. He said famously he wasn't going to be back in Staples Mm -hmm. after his career. And he was back there all the time because she loved basketball. And he always had his arm around her. Mm -hmm. My IG feed is full of those photos. And I thought to myself about a story he told when he tore his Achilles and his daughter's really upset. And he's like, no, don't be upset. It's okay. I can come back from this. And at the time, he didn't even know if that was true. Mm-hmm. Shaq, Barkley, Isaiah Thomas, their careers all ended based off a similar injury. But as a dad, you say to your kids, oh, it's fine. I got this. I don't want you to be upset. So I'll say whatever I need to so you're not upset. So his motivation to come back was so he wasn't a liar to his daughters. And I thought to myself, man, that chopper's going down and he's with his daughter. And as a father, he's probably has his arm around her, no different than when he had his arm around her courtside. And he's probably trying to tell her that it's going to be okay, the same way he did so many times. Like some people say, oh, I get it. I have a daughter. Oh, I get it. I'm a father. You don't have to be either of those things to get it. And I just thought it's really sad that he had this Shakespearean life in the the one vessel that he used to get a competitive advantage on his opponents, but also to be able to spend more time with his family, that's literally the last space that he was in. And he was in it with her in a scene that is kind of hell. It's it's heartbreaking, man. If you're someone who watched him up close or from afar. So you touched on a, a few different things there. I'll just say this is, and you're right to feel this way because, again, it's the, it's how everybody feels in terms of when someone dies and the gamut of emotions that you run through. For me, I was just very shocked by the news. I definitely had an, an element of denial to it where it did not feel real to me that Kobe Bryant had passed until the Raptors and the Spurs rolled the ball out and I saw pictures of Tyson Chandler. Like Then it started to kind of sink in that this was actually happening. I was angry because of some of the, I don't even know if you want to call it reporting, but some of the rumors that have been circulating around online, my desire for immediacy, my desire to have closure on something that had just happened, knowing you're right. I hadn't even considered that element of it, of, you know, someone else passing away, not having it be his daughters, but strangely feeling like I was very, very attached to finding out that it wouldn't be his family. I wanted to believe that it wouldn't be his family because yeah, his daughters are so young, they have their entire lives ahead of them. And for some of the horrific reasons that you also said, but yeah, I think we do this thing in this era. Maybe it's not this era, just, but we do this thing where it's like, I'm not allowed to feel a certain way because I didn't know this person this way, or I didn't, I wasn't a friend of this person, or I didn't, yeah, I didn't cover them or I wasn't around them. I didn't know them as a person. And while I'll say that, I think that's a good perspective to have in terms of how you relate to the rest of the world and you know, what you do in your social spaces and how you, how you grieve and how you affect other people's grief is that 
this is part of what I thought of yesterday when the players went on the floor. Part of what I've been thinking about over the last, I don't know, what, 16 hours is that there's really just no way to properly take in something like this. There's really no, there's no code. There's no code of conduct. There's no formula for being what's right. Kobe Bryant made people feel things like it doesn't matter what he made you feel. He made you feel something. And so the idea of people sitting around yesterday over these last, you know, again, 16, 17, 18 hours, what makes Kobe Bryant so special and so memorable to me and that he will resonate forever is that that thought is people felt deeply about Kobe Bryant. There's nobody that you know that's a sports fan or especially a basketball fan, especially that's our age, right? Like, I think Kobe Bryant is the player of my era, of my age. Like, Steph Curry defined basketball in a completely different way. But if you look at young kids with the way that they love the Warriors and the way they love Steph Curry, I think that that was like me being in high school with so many people when it came to Kobe Bryant and loving Kobe and bringing in the casuals and making people want to play him in a video game or shoot a ball at a basket or playing on a mini hoop, shooting in a driveway. It didn't matter. Like people were pretending to be Kobe. People were emulating Kobe. He made you feel something. And I just think a lot of people are hurting today because that type of a loss it really tells you like what sports are about and how powerful sports figures can be in, in all of our lives. Yeah, I do think though, and this is what I was afraid of in terms of me weighing in with my thoughts or my feelings, my emotions is because there are people who their thoughts, feelings, and emotions are stronger because of the proximity that they had to him. And but I think- no one's telling you that's not true. No, 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 no I'm, I'm not saying they are, but- I say all that to say when famous people die, mm -hmm. we have grief gymnastics yeah. where everyone wants to get on and act like they cared about that person so much or they loved them so much. Remember when Michael Jackson died and, and his impact is huge, but a bunch of people were talking about how much they loved Michael Jackson. I was like, I've never seen him on your playlist. I just feel like whether it's a natural catastrophe or celebrity dies, people feel like they need to get attendance marks and be a part of the conversation. And there's a boy who cried wolf aspect where, no, the actual people who covered him, who knew him, who met him, the actual people who trained with him, who played with him and against them, those are the people who should be speaking right now. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean in terms of, yeah, like I felt terrible, but I also felt terrible for my friends who covered him and knew him. I didn't want to do any radio hits because... My friend Cabby should be doing the radio hits. Yeah, yeah. He interviewed him 20 times. Mm -hmm. He's been to his house. He was in a chopper with him. And so that's why I felt as bad as I, I felt for him and his family, for all the people who were really hurting. I just didn't want to exploit his tragedy for impressions and clicks. And this I totally get that. This is a basketball space. We're going to talk about basketball. This is a massive basketball story. So obviously we have an obligation to touch on it, but- it's funny, we, people look at things differently and have different sensibilities. And as you know, uncomfortable you were with the quick reporting, I was just guarded in terms of, I don't want to make someone else's tragedy about me. So I was, I was just taking it in and, and looking to hear what other people were saying about him. Because you're right, he is divisive and you either loved him or hated him. And I was actually in a place where I didn't feel as strongly either way, I was somewhat indifferent. I didn't like all of his behavior, certainly, but I respected him immensely for his level of competition.
I'm really glad that you brought up that element. And I know that we didn't want to go down too many rabbit holes and that we do want to make this about Kobe Bryant, but not a lot of people have the guts to say that part of it. And I'm glad you did because it's true, man. There's a level of cynicism when someone dies now of looking at some of the things that people post and the way that they grieve and the way that they make it public. And I think that some of it is based in reality is that we do live in a show. We live in a one-upsman culture where everything is supposed to mean more to you than to other people or that people try and do that. And it's uncomfortable and it's ugly. And you're right. I feel the same way is that neither of us, I think we're both very cognizant of that and we don't want to make this about us. And it isn't about us. You're right. It's about Kobe Bryant. It's about his family. It's about his friends. It's about those who knew him. And so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Kobe Bryant meant more to me than other people. I don't mean to be doing this today, but I do want to flesh out just, I can only give one perspective on Kobe and that's my own. And it's simply this, is that I hated Kobe Bryant. I hated Kobe from essentially the second he stepped in the league. And I don't mean this in terms of I hated the person. I mean, I sports hated him. And why? Because he was great. He was excellent. He tore the heart out of a million different teams that I loved and rooted for. They were the favorites. They were the big market team. And I have always been someone who rooted for the underdog, the upstart. And you can make the case that Kobe in some regards was that. But man, the Rashid Trailblazers team, I wanted them to do well. Kobe, Lakers, snatch those hearts and the team. The Chris Webber, Vladi Divac, White Chocolate, Peja Stoyakovich Kings, Man, I wanted them to be a thing. Man, I wanted that Arco Arena to bang it out loud and have a great time and beat the Lakers. Nope, heart ripped out, lost. Reggie Miller, is he going to get a championship? Nope, not on Kobe and Shaq's watch, not happening. Are we going to see that fun Nets team that was on the cover of Slam Magazine to start that season come out with a championship? Nope, sweep, not even close, not even a question of whether or not they can hang in the series. Are we going to see Allen Iverson have his moment where he carries a team and he's able to do this on his own, basically carry this like pretty crappy uh, Sixers team to a finals. Nope. Kobe stopped them. Kobe stepped on my Seattle supersonics heart more time than I can ever imagine. He was the shooting guard. As much as I wanted to love Ray Allen or love Gary Payton, he crossed both those errors and stomped both of them out. I wanted Ray Allen to win multiple rings with the Boston Celtics. Kobe, in his secondary career killed their chances of having two of those titles. He killed the Orlando magic's chances of winning a team that was very likable to me with Hedu Turkaloo and Dwight Howard. Kobe Bryant was someone who as a basketball fan, I loved to root against. And when he retired, do you remember those ad, that ad campaign, the I hate you, I hate you? And it was everyone singing the I hate you song to Kobe Bryant mm -hmm. as he left the floor. My hate was growing stronger as you became a habit to me. I've never thought there was a better ad than that because it was just so true. There was this loss of losing Kobe as a basketball player, knowing that I would never have a heel like that again. I would never see another basketball player that made me feel like root against them the way that Kobe Bryant made me root against him. And it sucked. It sucked feeling that, but Kobe was still around. Like it, this is just, there's a finality to this. There's a, a loss to this that I think a lot of people have knowing that they have to grasp with essentially like a figurehead in their basketball lives. And I just think as fans and as people, 
that's not an easy thing for anybody to do today. Yeah, right beside on the emotional spectrum, right beside hate is love. Mm-hmm. And the hate for him was certainly intense, but so was the love. LeBron could win two, three, four chips with the Lakers. He won't have that same love of Kobe. It'll be Kobe's town. How many times did his mural get defaced? Because people are Kobe fans. They're not Lakers fans. And they that, couldn't keep a mural of LeBron James coming to LA to win championships. They couldn't keep it clean because people kept defacing it in LA. And that was that was part of LeBron's first year in Los Angeles. And that Kobe-LeBron rivalry was... a for years, the biggest rivalry in sports because of the juxtaposition of them and how they were both incredibly elite, but they operated in two entirely different ways. So I certainly get people on both sides of him throughout his career, but I think people respect how much of a masterclass he was at the sport, how much that current and and players that even came into the league after he was out would go to him as a resource. I mean, we see his impression on the game in players like Norm Power wearing 24, DeMar DeRozan not just wearing his shoes, but literally using his feet and his footwork the exact same way. Durant, Kyrie, go down the line of how guys play. They, they've stolen, everyone's taken something from Kobe. The biggest thing for me, and again, when we talk about celebrities when they pass, we almost talk about them in a linear fashion as if this is their Wikipedia page. They did this, 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 and this, and they were great. Mm -hmm. They were the second coming to Gandhi. And I think Kobe was so complex and so diverse that the way to remember him is as a fully formed, complex human being. He didn't have the natural ascension that most elite athletes specifically in basketball do. He didn't come from an impoverished situation and that pressure didn't make him great. He he was well off. His father was a professional basketball player. He was groomed his formative years in Italy, spoke many different languages. He never really fit in in Europe, but then he comes back to Philly in the United States and doesn't really fit in there either. He had to go to the projects to get good competition, but he would go back to the suburbs. So in a Malcolm Gladwell way, he was always a little bit of an outsider, which gave him, I think, great perspective. And we've seen that in his storytelling after his career. But, I mean, he is a complex individual, which is part of the reason why he's a fascinating character to cover. Early in his career, it's all about the bounce and the athleticism. His dunk competition is one of the best performances ever. Late in the career, when he loses that athleticism, It's all about the fundamentals and the attention to detail and the mind, both the basketball mind and him willing to push his mind and push his body physically because he was so mentally strong. I think he's a fascinating, fascinating, forget about sportsman. He's just a fascinating entertainer in our era because you can't really put him in a box at all. And I think that's why so many people feel so many different ways about him. Yeah, I like so much of that too. And he was complex and there was a lot to him. And I think that him being an outsider translated so much into why he was this ferocious competitor who basically devoted so much of his life to becoming great at something, why he became essentially the Mamba mentality is that I think in some ways his inability to maybe connect with certain people on the same social level is what allowed him to pour so much more of himself into just basketball and being a competitor. And like, 
that was another thing I, I kept thinking of is I don't mean to sound like an, uh, an old guy yelling at clouds here, but I do miss the guys hating each other sometimes in sports. Like we've talked about it. It's very fraternal, right? Like well, with him, sometimes it would be teammates hating each other. But that's it. It's like his rivals were also, so we had Jody Meeks on good show today. And I was reading quotes from Jody Meeks as his tenure as Kobe with Kobe Bryant as his teammate. And like, one of them is like Kobe Bryant talking about like killing Jody Meeks in practice every single day. And it's like, it's Jody Meeks. You should kill him. But he's telling people because he's like, listen, I'm killing Jody Meeks every single day in practice. Like this is going down. When you're on his team, you're going to give hundred percent effort. And he's going to make you do that mentally and physically. And I felt like guarding him those two years that I was on the team every day in practice made me that much better as a player. Because I felt like if I could, you know, get busted up in practice by him, I could guard anybody. And most days he got the best of me. And every once in a while I had a day where I played well and beat him. And I did him in practice, but it was very rare. And after those days in practice, when you beat him, uh, did he beat you the worst the ver- the following game? Uh yeah. You know, he, every time he beats you, no matter no matter if, if it's every day, he's gonna let you hear about it. So you gotta let him hear about it. The one out of a hundred times that you that you get him, but it was always fun. It was always uh, competitive, and he he brings out the best in you. He calls out his teammates, but rivalry wise. I think we've described it, or I think maybe you described it this way once to me as now basketball players and athletes in a lot of different sports look at themselves as all on the same team, but wearing different uniforms. Is that yours? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, it does sound like something he would say. And it's very true is that guys don't look at each other with that same level of animosity. It's not like, Hey, I'm going to do my thing. I've got my people. I got my team. It's Hey, Maybe well, we're going to join up. Like, look at the Timberwolves situation right now, right? It's like, we all know that D'Angelo Russell is likely going to end up on the Timberwolves because they want to satisfy Carl Anthony Towns because he wants to play with his friend and guys are friends and they want to play together and they want to be on the same team. Kobe wasn't that guy. Like, one, Kobe stayed on one team for his entire career. Two is that even in all-star games, I can remember him like D'ing up LeBron at the end being like, try and score on me. Like, this means something to me. Prove that you're better. If you're going to say you're better than Kobe, prove it at all times. And his longevity is really reflected in his rivals is like, so his draft class, 96, right? It's one of the most famous draft classes of all time. AI was the player of that draft class at first. Like, everyone was like, AI, AI. Culturally, AI was the guy. Like, people wanted to emulate him. People wanted to be him. He was the guy people gravitated towards. He was the guy people wanted to watch. Kobe surpassed him on his own team. Shaquille O'Neal, a rival. Shaquille has that moment where he's like, Kobe, how's my ass taste? What was that? 06, 06, 07. Like Kobe's winning years and years after like Shaq's basically irrelevant. He's running around maybe a little bit on Phoenix and Boston and jumping around teams. And Kobe's still carrying his team to titles and getting Pau Gasol. He outlast that rival. Vince Carter was a blip of a rival. Like there's all these guys you can go down the line of like, who were Kobe's guys? The fact that he was even a rival to LeBron James is incredible. Like it's just, he had this, unbelievable ability to not just stay relevant as a, you know, as a figurehead, but as a basketball player and as a competitor. And I just think that that, when I really think of his greatness, it's like him and Tim Duncan. That's why they're the two comparables is that both guys found ways to continue to push themselves, continue to remain competitive, continue to stay at this high, high level for such a long time. And so much of it seems like it was just drive. Yeah. The Raptors playing the Spurs, you know, great, idea to let the shot clock run out first by the Raptors and Lowry and then second by the Spurs is pop 
told DeJounte Murray, don't take a shot. And DeJounte Murray will do the same. A 24-second shot clock, of course, Kobe Bryant. Number 24. And the fans recognize that. You chanting Kobe. And now the game will actually begin. And as you pan the bench, you saw Becky Hammond tearing up. And then Tim Duncan like had to leave. Yeah. He had to go no, to no, the back. Hard. And so it shows you what his contemporaries thought of him. Kobe was one of those guys where the old heads, the OGs, the players who came before, ton of respect for him. His contemporaries at the time obviously revered and respected him. But even the new school guys, the younger guys still wear his shoes, still mm -hmm. reference him, still talk to him and try to pick his brain. And so you don't often see that. Even LeBron and Steph, the crushed at times oh, just but, so weird that by the older guys passed him the night before the night before and had just said all those words about him that everyone was clipping and using and put mamba for life on his shoe and kobe's last tweet was one of congratulations to lebron and it's it's crazy and sad that we never saw them in a finals against each other when lebron was dominating the east and kobe was on the west coast and we, we had the campaign we had the nike little puppets of the two and we never got to see them push each other the way we saw magic and bird the way we saw jordan against whoever was good in the west at that time nobody jordan just also squashed everybody like i was like that's the thing about jordan there is like you go through it and it's like yeah he just killed everybody like everybody was uh that's on his footstep but yeah, yeah. He, he's um i will say that though with kobe too is like the things that he gave us he gave younger people like you and I Lakers versus Celtics and made it meaningful. Like that was something that was my parents thing. It was Lakers versus Celtics and going and seeing magic versus Larry. And, you know, I never really had that growing up. It was basically like off of this thing, right? It's much like I'm guessing some people feel Leafs Habs is, for example, now it's like, there's been no Leafs Habs things in decades. It's all based off of old history. We got Lakers versus Celtics. Thanks to Kobe and those great Celtics teams. Like those were awesome. We got two finals where each of them took a chip. Well, and I think it's for Canadians, a lot of them and the Lakers have massive fans in Canada and yeah. Kobe does as well. But I think for Canadians, a lot of them see the Lakers and Kobe as the reason that Steve Nash, whether it was with the Mavs or with the Suns, never was able to get to a finals mm -hmm. and win one. And they, again, being in the same draft and being on the same coast uh, and both living in LA, were quite close in Muse, which is an amazing documentary into the psyche of Kobe. It's on demand on Rogers. Make sure you watch it. It's free. Muse was a doc that Gotham Choper did about Kobe. And he interviewed everyone, Nash, Phil Jackson, Jerry West, you name it. The whole doc was, give me three words that describe Kobe and then explain. And that was going to be the entire doc. Shot, done. And Nash's first word was mother effer, which when Kobe heard that, he loved. Yeah, like, of course. That, that like, just played up. That's literally, I can imagine his like, his like cocaine. Like that would be the best thing that he could possibly get where yeah. he's like, Oh, you don't, you think Kobe Bryant was someone who wanted someone to be like, great guy. He's like, no, don't say that about me. Say that, was, that I ripped your throat out. That was his sixth championship was when he heard that. But Kobe, the doc's done shot and Kobe's like, yeah, no, not good enough. And then the entire doc became Kobe talking about Kobe. That, <laughs> he's the only voice in the doc. But that just shows you is 
his yeah. his level of of competition and his level of of self and so that that's one of the anecdotes that stays with me we've gone a while on him and we should wrap it up but i, I will say this and there are definitely people who are replying to this tweet about this posting or commenting in the comments on youtube uh, which I will not see because I will not look at them, but JD might see. But I know this is going to happen. I had to stop looking at the YouTube ones. They were Did too you? toxic. Okay, well, there you go. That's why you shouldn't have looked in the first place. There are people who will comment and say, you're glorifying him. He's a rapist. He's a sexual abuser. The legacy that I believe is the court case in Colorado, not what he did on the court. And then there are going to be people who respond and say, that talking about what happened in 2003 and that impacted him, his team, his family, at this moment is distasteful. And I'm here to say that there's probably truth in both, right? Like, however you feel that's true to you, I totally get both sides. I'm not really sure how to reconcile with Kobe because he was a fully-fledged person. I do know this. In his own documentary, he talked about it. And he brought it up. So he realized that it was a chapter in his life worth exploring. I was in in room 35. I don't know what happened. I know that we look at what happened then with a Me Too lens now when times are different. And I do know that moving forward, he was an incredibly impactful person on empowerment with women in sports, specifically in basketball. He was routinely seen at WNBA games. One of the last photos he had with him and his daughter at a game, he was wearing a WNBA logoed hoodie. He spoke up about how important it was for them to get equal pay. He mentored NCAA females and had an academy at his Mamba facility speaking to them. That I do know. And so I, that as well should be part of his legacy, no matter how you reconcile what did or didn't happen. I, I am of the belief that survivors should be heard and respected and believed, but I'm also of the belief that we have a judicial system and that innocent until proven guilty is a real thing. So it's part of his legacy that is tough to reconcile, but no matter where you are in the spectrum, however you feel, I think those feelings are valid. So I think when it comes to that, I don't think that it's gauche or inappropriate to bring it up because no matter what happened... Kobe is the one who put himself in that position that night. And that's what we're responsible like for our actions. We're responsible for putting ourselves in situations. And if they become a part of who we are, our legacy down the line, like that was on you to make those decisions and those actions at the time. You're right. I don't know what happened in that room. I've read up on it as much as I can. I don't have a hard opinion. If I did, I don't even know if I would share it, to be honest. I think that, yes, there is an element of I think you can discuss it. I think when you're someone who's just like throwing it in people's faces or trying to condemn someone or make a judgment of someone when you don't really know all the facts is to me too much. Like, I don't think that that's the position that anyone should take. I actually just, for me is the, I, I did have basketball thoughts off of it, which were just like that following season was the last year of the Lakers and Kobe threw Shaq under the bus and essentially said like that, Shaq had taught him how to deal with PR relations like this and had had stuff like this happen. And it fractured their relationship ultimately. The following year, Phil Jackson wrote a book that came out that basically outlined how horrible it was to be around Kobe Bryant that year. And I think that if we 
you know, when we were talking, I was speaking to Howard Beck today, said, if you look at some of the formulation of like what Mamba mentality became and like the way that he separated himself from people and the way that he became more callous and hardened over the years, like a lot of it was that a different Kobe emerged from post Colorado. And so, yeah, I just, I can't make a judgment there. I'm with you in terms of a lot of things that you said about listening to survivors and listening to victims and believing people. But yes, I genuinely, I think it's a part of Kobe's legacy that's completely fair to discuss. And that just because someone died, I talked about it when David Stern passed away, like for far lesser uh, reasons, just how they made me feel personally. But again, it just, it comes with the territory of, of a life is people are going to look at your mistakes. They're going to look at what you might've done wrong and they're going to discuss it. So as we wrap, is there a moment that signifies Kobe for you that you'll think of? I think of him with the Lakers in the three-peat and really believing like for the first time that I would never see like another, that this was going to be my entire life. <laughs> it was like watching Kobe and Shaq wearing rings because there was an element of them where it was like, and this is pre-Twitter, pre-internet, reading about it in literally we would try to get <laughs> my uncle to send us newspapers, like old newspapers from LA to read about those teams because they had such great sports sections. And like, that's the way you would consume some news. It's really weird to think back on that. But even when you heard about Shaq and Kobe as, you know, a younger kid, as a younger person, it was always through this lens of like, they don't really get along. Even a lot of it was based on the floor. Like Shaq was so dominant, right? And there were so many games where it was like Shaq didn't get enough touches because Kobe would be taking shots. And you kind of fell into one side of the aisle when it came to that. And even when I look at Kobe game winners, even when I'm looking at Kobe shots that he made to win a game, I'm looking down and a lot of them. I see Shaq like down low thinking you probably should have passed it to Shaq and let him get that last bucket. Like it was probably more high efficiency, but I think of whenever they would win in those three peats. And that's what I really do imagine is not so much the mama Kobe. I really think of younger Kobe with Shaq because that one had like more that resonated differently with me was how, this was Jordan all over again of like, you're you're never going to see another team win a title. These guys, well, they might not like each other while they might not fit together perfectly on the basketball court while Kobe might not get him the ball enough or get enough of the offense. They win. And so when they win, they have that moment at the end of every season where it's the two of them taking shots, looking at one another, hugging each other, celebrating with one another, and that they're just going to keep running it back and how shocked I was when it was over. So Really, yeah, my lasting memory for sure is is the as the three-peat. After the third one, after the sweep of the Nets, and just how it was like, this team is so on a different level than everybody else. To me, that's still the team I would pick to beat anybody in any series of any team I've ever seen, including the Warriors, including the Bulls. Give me Shaq and Kobe in their prime. I'm feeling pretty good about winning a seven-game series. Good luck. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, for me, there's stuff to narrow it down to a moment because I feel like there were so many different Kobe's mm -hmm. like early Kobe. I think of him going to the prom with Brandy and her going <laughs> nuts on the sidelines. Cut. Yeah. No, her going nuts on the sidelines during yeah. the dunk competition. And just like he was a young Hollywood mm -hmm. celeb kid and, you know, doing rap videos. He met Vanessa, his wife on the set of a rap video. You think of late Kobe, the idea of him spending all day on the set of a rap video and the lyrics are like k-o-b-e i love you like there's no way that would happen and so just the transformation that we saw throughout our eyes is crazy in terms of moments like on court i think the greatest on court moment i had from him was not even a play it was matt barnes 
trying to inbound the ball and mm. faking as if he's going to throw it or basically hit him in the face with the ball and Kobe standing right in front of him on the baseline, chewing gum, not flinching. Like scientifically, us as humans, we have a fight or flight response, right? That's how our nervous system is set up to protect ourselves. Kobe evidently does not because he didn't move. He just chewed his gum and stared right back at him. And I was like, this guy is on another level mentally. He's probably not a human. He's an alien. He's just a superhuman. He shot foul shots with no Achilles in his leg and he drained them both, then walked off the floor. Like you're not supposed to be able to do that. But in the game, the foul shots actually mattered. So that's what I think of him on the court. And even in the Achilles, there's a scene in his documentary where uh, the doctor puts a bunch of metal balls in front of his foot after the surgery. And he has to pick them up with his toes and place them in like a Tupperware container. The act is in rehab to get the muscles firing around there again because they atrophied as you couldn't move and to break up any scar tissue. And Kobe is attacking this medial, boring, probably painful task as if it is game seven of the NBA finals. And I was like, yeah, I mean, we saw it because there was cameras there, but that's greatness right there. That like everything you do, you're trying to dominate. Do you remember your thought when he tore his Achilles? Because I can remember the conversations very, very clearly with people. And it was, man, Achilles, I think he was 36. Or no, he's 35. I think he was 35. He's 35 years old. He suffered an Achilles injury. That's a wrap probably on his career from doctors and people who were explaining what an Achilles injury was. And I'll be honest, I'd like... I didn't even have the full grasp of an Achilles. Now it's like we know all about it from just having happened to KD and the one that Kobe incurred. But it was, man, this is one that ends players' careers. And then immediately, yeah, but it's Kobe. He'll be fine. He'll come back. And it's because of those things that you mentioned. He was relentless. And, and he was the fiercest of competitors that we've ever seen. When people and, talk about, oh, you know, Dirk going to Germany. Oh, everyone, you got to go to Germany. You'll feel better. Kobe was actually the guy who went to Germany oh, yeah. first. So there was that, a medical technology. <laughs> He's right. like, do you think if we ever like doctors probably get Kobe's maybe legacy in the medical community is probably like, man, you know how much money we had to sink into Achilles? We didn't realize there was so much money to be made in, in fixing an Achilles tendon. That was probably the next uh, venture after the Mamba Academy and mm -hmm. his podcast series and his, his books for kids and the ESPN plus details. It was like Mamba Medical it was probably the next yeah. move because he was next level with that. And then the last memory, he gave an interview, I believe it was on Kimmel, where he's talking about fans coming up to him and saying, oh man, you got so many girls, you know, you need a boy, you need to continue that legacy. You and Vanessa need to try for a boy. And him not even having to say anything, but Gianna saying, oh, no, 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 I got next. I'm going to be the next part of that legacy. And she's someone who wanted to go to UConn. She already had verbally committed and she's 13 if you've seen her plays online or her training with him, she was really, really good. And he loved the fact that his daughter had the same Mamba mentality as he did. And he was so proud telling that story as a father, but also as a high level competitor, that interview will be something that I remember as well. I think we should probably just wrap there. Thanks to Kobe Bryant. Like, honestly, like, um, for changing so many of us as basketball fans. And, um, yeah, I think that, one of the messages from today anyways from ours is like yeah grieve however you want feel however you want we'll catch you next week
time. Enjoy life. It's um, life is too short to, to, to get bogged down to be discouraged or um, you have to keep moving. You have to keep going. Put one foot in front of the other, smile and just keep on rolling.